know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, and this is episode 164. And today I am solo. Last week, if you listened in, I was talking about traumatic brain injury or TBI. And, and I mentioned how over 40% of our survivors in our community reported that they had a significant head or neck injury. And that is an indication that they really should be tested for a TBI because a TBI can impair their ability to recover. Even take advantage of any type of talk therapy or cognitive behavioral work or trauma treatment or even linking them to services and you know not having them follow through and wondering why they didn't follow through or maybe they didn't even clearly understand uh, what was happening or what the process is or what they should be doing or what they know you should be doing. Could be a TBI. And so this week, I really want to talk about chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That's hard to say. <laughs> chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that is known as CTE. I got an email last week from a fellow advocate, Jay Benke, over at cleverhuman.org. She's a human trafficking expert, a survivor leader, and an advocate. And she said, Celia, talk about CTE. And so CTE is really a progressive neurodegenerative disease, neurodegenerative, degenerating the brain. And it affects people who've suffered repeated concussions and traumatic brain injuries. So oftentimes we associate this with sports figures that are, are people who are involved in football, boxing, and it really comes from repeated hits to the brain. It's a progressive condition and it gets worse over time. Some of the symptoms don't appear until much later in life. So people don't often put these symptoms together and conclude that it's CTE. In fact, there's not very much known about this disease. It was first described in 1928 by Dr. Harrison Martlin. And this is when they were talking about punch drunk syndrome with boxers, sort of you observed it around uh, boxers who had been boxing and they had several severe blows to the head. And then later on, they were kind of experiencing these symptoms that we would call being punch drunk. But later in 2005, Dr. Omalu and his colleagues sort of, they started doing some research and some study and they got a lot of attention um, observing National Football League players and some of their symptoms. 
So Dr. Amalia was first to identify and describe and label this disease CTE. Now, so far, we know that some of the symptoms don't occur until about eight or 10 years later, but studies are still going on. I think the um, if you're interested and you're a nerd in this area, there is a good study by A.C. McKee, M-C-K-E-E, and it's the Neuropathology of Chronic Traumatic Insulopathy. It's the status of the literature. And this was a study done in 2020 that kind of surveys the literature to date and what we know to date. So most times, like I said, it's associated with athletes, but you know where I'm going with this. Um, In terms of survivors and repeated blows to the head, this is also a population along with uh, people that experience domestic violence, um, anybody that experiences repeated violence. This person can, in general, uh, exhibit signs of aggressiveness, or they can implode and have signs of being suicidal. Uh, and when we see this in among famous football players or famous boxers, um, we, we start to take notice. But as survivors experience repeated blows to the head, we or other people that aren't famous in sports, like victims of child abuse or survivors of sex or labor trafficking, we can misdiagnose, we can label, we can stigmatize um, these behaviors. So let's talk about those. There are four major categories um, that have to do with CTE. Hey, I wanted to break into this episode to let you know that if you're interested in getting ahead of the problem of human trafficking by engaging in prevention and changing the trajectory of the lives of at-risk youth, then listen and learn about what really works in the field of anti-trafficking prevention curricula. Follow me here. The first issue is to understand that every youth is not at the same level of risk. There are youth at higher risk than other youth. Second, For those at higher risk, education doesn't necessarily translate into lowered risk. Youth at high risk will be educated and will remain at high risk because there are other factors keeping them at high risk. Third, understand that sex traffickers don't commonly snatch youth off the street and chain their wrists and ankles. They manipulate them and chain their minds and hearts in what we call trauma bonding. If that's true, then we need to train youth to see the manipulation coming, assess it for what it is, and do something preemptively about it. My Best Life Human Trafficking Prevention Curriculum for At-Risk Girls uses the safer method to teach girls how to see risky situations and risky people, assess the situation, find suitable and safe solutions, evaluate those solutions, and respond. We talk about support and relationships and boundaries, and we reduce the risk factors that increase the opportunities for someone to remain vulnerable and to be trafficked. If you're interested in lowering risk and perhaps changing the trajectory of someone's life for the better, check out my free webinar on the Best Life Curriculum at CeliaWilliamson.com. Learn how to become a trained Best Life facilitator today. 
And now on with the podcast. The first is behavior. People with CTE typically have a short fuse. They have a low threshold for tolerance. They tend to blow up. They have a low impulse control. They show aggression, violence. Um, And even in their behavior, you can see sort of signs of Parkinson's-like movements. Um, They might have tremors, uh, unexplained. Uh, Maybe their walking or their gait is not as smooth. Um, And they might have issues speaking clearly. The second category is their cognitive functioning or cognitive symptoms. People with CTE typically have memory loss or memory problems. They can't remember what they were just told a few minutes ago, or they have trouble focusing, or they have an impaired focus. They have impaired decision-making, maybe an inability to even learn new information. Like I said, they quickly forget sometimes what they were just told. There can be psychiatric symptoms, and these are very devastating and, and can be dangerous Um, impulse control issues, typically drug or alcohol addiction, major depression, aggressive behavior, like I talked about, explosive tempers, problems with emotional regulation. And so because of the profound depression, um, suicide is high. Suicide rate is high for people that have CTE. Some of the physical symptoms are headaches, uh, motor problems, uh, like being stiff, um, having those tremors I mentioned, or having dizziness or slower movements than other people, or um, progressively experiencing muscle weakness. And it's really hard to get a diagnosis for CTE because you see these symptoms that I just described in many other diagnoses. So Oftentimes, they experience uh, three, four different diagnoses, but the real diagnosis is CTE. The problem is that we really haven't progressed in our knowledge of CTE. So the only way to definitively know if someone had CTE is after they die and they take a look at the brain and they see the genetic, uh, not the genetic, but they see the differences in the brain between the normal brain and somebody who has CTE. Now, some of the studies say that, yes, it happens in later in life, but really there are two major subtypes. So if you look at mood and behavior, you kind of see those signs and symptoms often in somebody's early 30s and 40s, but the cognitive issues or the problems with executive functioning, decision-making, you can see that later in life, the 50s and 60s, and uh, people generally uh, are diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. um, And we really don't know yet if genetics play a component in this, if uh, age that you experience these repeated severe blows might play a part in what happens to you later in life. Um, But we have to be aware that CTE is out there. 
And we have to remember if we are in the professional business of helping that we look at the biopsychosocial person, we do an assessment and we look at biopsychosocial and it's, we look at the biology, we look at the um, psychology and the social aspects of somebody's life. And the reason that bio is first is because we want to rule out anything biologically that might be happening in someone's life before we start diagnosing them with all kinds of mental disorders. So maybe this isn't the diagnosis that we're ever going to know about or learn about right now because we're still studying and still uh, identifying and describing and learning about CTE. But this is something that we should keep in the back of our mind, right? Because people are labeled all the time with various diagnoses and people go to jail because of their aggressive or out of control behavior. Um, People are persistently suicidal. Um, They may have poor impulse control. They may lash out at somebody for, you know, what we believe is little or no cause at all. And sometimes this is because of the many blows that they've had to the head and in a damaged brain. And I know this is deep and we don't have a cure for CTE. And I know it's much easier to say that somebody is noncompliant or that somebody is aggressive or somebody needs to work on their emotional regulation. Or, you know, I just can't help them because they are beyond help um, in our minds. Or we we say, can't we just go back to a simpler time where we could just find people a place to stay and some food and some clothes and, you know, feel successful and they will get better as a result? Or can't we just get them in the substance abuse treatment? Or why do they keep acting out? Why don't they just... Um, go down the path of recovery that we've laid out for them. And you end up scratching your head and saying, what's wrong with them? And you come up with all kinds of stigmatizing reasons. But the reason could be traumatic brain injury or worse, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Until next time, the fight continues. Let's not just do something Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.